All right, hello. Welcome hello. to the yeah, welcome to distribution download podcast here at Red List, where really we kind of want to explore the world of fuel, lubricant, and chemical kind of and maintenance supply distribution. I'm gonna be the host today. I'm John Keller. And today we're actually really thrilled to have a special guest with us, Doug Tucker. Doug's uh retired. Well, I'm not you're not retired. Uh yeah, I'm retired, but I do, I still do some work, but I'm retired from my last my last company. Yeah, from Shell Oil. Nice. Yeah, so Doug's re- retired, uh, though still actively retired, and a highly <laughs> successful kind of field seal uh, field sales engineer manager. He's worked for Shell Oil, a number of other distributors, and really, Doug, we're glad to have you. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. <laughs> so, you know, Doug, uh, you. Looking over your resume, looking over some of the things you've done, you've you've had a lot of journey in this in this space. And I think one of the reasons that we really kind of reach out here at the Distribution Download Podcast is that we have, when it comes to the, the last mile of getting fuels, lubricants, and chemicals where they're supposed to be, like a lot of times it's kind of under-celebrated. It's, uh, it's not necessarily, the, the media doesn't see it as the sexiest of of industries or opportunities, um, even some of the the um, OEMs take for granted that last mile stretch, just how critical it is. And and so uh, a lot of people don't wake up and, and say, oh, when I grow up or when I, I'm just so excited to go out and distribute oil today. Yeah, it's such a critical, a critical element uh, and journey and in career. So I kind of just want to talk a little bit about your journey Maybe before we get into some of the bigger things today, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and your journey. Maybe start before you even got into oil. Uh, just, you know, what what is it that made you tick initially and how did you end up where you ended up? Well, I always, I think I had an, an idea that I wanted to be in sales in some sort of way. And my dad, I grew up on my, my father had a parts distribution business. So I grew up in auto parts mostly. And, um, uh, I did a lot of uh, deliveries and not a lot of selling, but um, I always felt like where I wanted to end up in a sales role uh, with one of those companies. So I ended up, uh, went to the University of Missouri or sometimes on the Mizzou and I graduated and I moved to Kansas City and, uh, and worked, went to work for Goodyear, Goodyear Time Rubber Company and uh, did that for a few years. And uh, that was uh, challenging, but fun. I learned a lot. I was kind of known for being a management training ground. Then I got hired as a product manager for uh, by a company called Farmland Industries, uh, which uh, it, in, in an intact entity had no longer existed. At the time, it was the largest uh, co-op in the U.S., agricultural co-op, and um, uh, learned, got a lot of experience as a product manager. So really, I was on the buying end there, so I had a lot of reps calling on me, but I would just buy and then would also resell to my customer base and market to my customer base. And one of my suppliers was Texaco, and uh, they ended up offering me a job in, in national, what they call national account sales in Houston. So I moved to Houston, took that role, and then I kind of maybe unfortunately let it be known that I had a marketing background, and marketing people are apparently a lot more scarce than salespeople. So uh, ended up with um, 
uh, getting put back into marketing and uh, became the hat winner, the Texaco brand brand manager for automotive products. And uh, for a couple of years of that, I ended up going out as a sales manager in the Houston district. So that was my first real experience as a sales manager. I was in my early 30s, so I was pretty young. They used to, my reps used to call me. I think I was the only guy in their 50 in the group, but they called me their son. And uh, but I enjoyed that. I uh, stayed in touch uh, with marketing. Uh, we moved forward with a joint venture then with uh, Shell Oil. So Shell and Texaco did a JV, and I was part of that joint venture team. And um, stayed in sales management through all that, learned a lot there, and continued on. And then ultimately, Shell bought out the uh, Shell JV, or the Texaco end, and Chevron bought Texaco. And um, and then we ended up buying Pennzoil. And I was on the team that made that recommendation to make that acquisition. And then really since then, I'm really shortcutting a lot of stuff here. I ended up working as a, as a director, a sales sales manager. I managed uh, field reps, direct field reps, and key account managers sometimes concurrently, and uh, and that was the most successful. So I always looked at the uh, and at the very end of my career, the last couple of years, I worked managing global large key accounts. So I've seen I've seen it from all perspectives, and and I always looked at the last mile. Whenever I was, including when I was in marketing, putting together programs, a product manager buying selling, I was always thinking, well, how would what I'm doing, what how with the programs and the product offerings and the pricing, how's it going to sell at the field level with the customer? Because ultimately, that's where it really happens. You know, the old adage is nothing moves to the sale is made. And that is true. And that salesperson can be, and I've seen it over the years, that's so impactful. Because I put together all the programs in the world, but if the dog doesn't eat the dog food and it doesn't really meet the needs of the customer and can't be explained and articulated by the sales rep, it's really not going to be a, a, a successful program. No, no, I appreciate that. There's, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that statement. You know, uh, while you were going through this journey, were you kind of moving around a lot? Were you staying in the same spot? Like, well, I was in Kansas City with uh, Goodyear okay. and, um, and uh, then Farmland, but then I ended up uh, had the offer in Houston and was based in Houston, so I worked in the Texaco. Heritage. Well, actually, before that, I worked in the old what they call the Fannin Building. Uh, it was a kind of a classic building. I think it's been converted to condos now. But uh, we ended up moving to Texaco Heritage Plaza. And uh, at one when point, you say, I was actually, hey, we. When you say we, was that you? Was that your family? Who? Well, I, who, I, well, who I actually moved down here and I got married. And uh, okay. so I did bring. So yeah, I, I moved to Houston by myself, but then I got married, and my my and my wife moved with, then came down with me. And we just kind of took it from there. So, and, uh, but I eventually went out to the field, stayed in, and I've really done my best to stay in the field and balance of my career. Cause I was always being in the headquarters market there. And again, I had this background that kept trying to pull me back into other areas. And that's nearly not what I wanted to do because I like sales and I enjoyed sales management and I liked working with a customer. And uh, what I would do, I'd be in a lot of projects partly because of my background, partly because I was in Houston as a sales manager. They would bring me in on a lot of projects. So I kind of felt like I had two jobs at some at some points. So I uh, I really enjoyed uh, all the things I did, really. But I tried to stay in my lane. Once I decided I was going to be in sales and sales management, I did my best to stay there. Because I thought, you know, that was truly measurable. They can, you can actually do input and output. You can measure your e efforts. Can measure your reps efforts 
And you can do that measuring by the success, simply by the sales numbers for one thing, but also uh, instead of it being so subjective, so like a staff role in other parts of the company wasn't as appealing to me. No, I think that, I think, you know, I think it's good for you to have kind of identified your lane and stuck with it and you had a yes. chance to see sales, see when it's good, see when it sticks. And also, you know, in some of our previous conversations, you'd mentioned that over the years, you kind of had some people that you think were like the best people and people right. that you think were like the worst people to work with. And I guess right. I want to start with the, I want to go to the best ones for sure. But I do want to kind of ask this, like when you're working with a, a sales guy or a sales gal and you're just kind of just first meet them what's like the first indicator when it looks like they're not going to be successful what's like what are the first things that's kind of striking like oh this person is not going to do well uh, what maybe speak to that just a little bit well they they really need to be personable um, because there's some real introverts especially in the what we call the commercial or transport or industrial space there are a lot of technical people in there and a lot of engineers chemists things like that and a lot of them tend to be more introverted and they're not really quote unquote, some of them are, but they're not quote unquote, uh, I wouldn't say they're necessarily people person or type A outgoing type or amiable type people. And a lot of them are great and they're terrific and they've got that technical underpinning, which is important. But if they don't have the ability to connect with people and have people uh, want to work with them, regardless of how technical they are, then that's an automatic, that's a barrier. And uh, now if you get a person that's technical with a technical acumen and a sales acumen, then you've really got a home run. Those people I found to be somewhat rare, actually. But once you had one that had that kind of capacity and that background, because we pulled in my, my days, a lot of people would come out of the plants or come out of the labs or come out of some other technical area. And you give them a, a computer, a phone and a car and say, hey, go out and sell. And it that was kind of hit or miss. But I, I basically look at, they look you in the eye. Do they do they make uh, a personal contact? Can you develop, establish a relationship with that person? Because the customer, I mean, they're going to want to buy from who they want to who they want to buy from. They'll find an excuse. They'll find a way to buy from you if they really like like you and like working with you. So let's say that I'm one of the members of our audience, and I'm kind of I'm listening to this, and I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm I'm not very an extroverted person, right? right. I'm not that personality type. But I, I love sales. I love the opportunity that it offers. Like, what's a what's a, a recommendation you might give to somebody who, you know, is maybe not quite as extroverted, but still really wants to be in sales? Well, you know, one of the things I did, I took a, uh, a course in it was in Toastmasters, and it was kind of designed to get you used to public speaking, which is a terrifying thing for a lot of people. I was pretty uncomfortable with it myself, but uh, we brought a lot of. Uh, uh, technical. I was in with a lot of technical people, and uh, you can you can kind of you're, usually they're quite intelligent. You can force yourself to kind of come out of your shell, so to speak. It can become sort of a learned behavior to some extent. Uh, you may not have a ready-made acumen to do it, but we had a former uh, 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 well, he was actually president of Lubes for us, and he was a and I. By the time I met him, he did a lot of public speaking. He was very well spoken came across really well and he was very intelligent. But I, as I understood it from the beginning, he was an engineer, and he had an MBA, but he was really the most shyest retiring guy you've ever met. But they said he just kind of forced himself out of his shell 
and uh, he, when he and he took his acumen and he became a very good public speaker. He did Toastmasters, and I think that just after a while it became somewhat of a learned behavior. So you can studies have shown you can take a person who has a great deal of natural capacity and ability, and they can adapt and become a good salesperson. So it, it, and I've seen it happen. Not saying it's always the easiest thing to do, but it, it can and does can happen, and it does happen. Mm-hmm. Nice. No, that's. That's good. It's a good point. Just kind of what you're saying is just do it. If it's uncomfortable, find, find, I'm almost hearing you say, look for uncomfortable opportunities and kind of yes. exploit that in your own life and, and so it becomes a strength, is what you're saying. Yeah, could, could come out of your comfort zone. Force yourself out of the comfort zone because if you stay in your lane, you can stay in your lane to a point, but I did move around a lot. get a lot of exposure and I've seen a lot of people that not even necessarily talking about sales that were in a real, real comfort zone and a slot. And they move over somewhere else and they really can stumble. But I think earlier, particularly, if you, if you force yourself out of that, and you move, move yourself around and you really dedicate yourself. I've also known a number of people, Hanley, even though they're not necessarily that much of what we call a people person, they just work really hard. And they cover up the customer with service and they do their homework. And, and you can still, you can do it that way. It's harder. But you can also do team selling. Right. So you, you may not necessarily have a. I used to work with key account reps sometimes side by side, and they had very great relationships. So I could come in and because of the relationships they had, and I was able to walk in side by side with them and, and leverage that relationship. It's not all about you, especially with these larger customers. You can find bringing in other people, including your technical people, maybe your manager, other people have relationships. You may not have the relationship. But I, I, I do think you you got to look at focusing on the team. You got to look at, at, at bringing other people in that can be helpful with you. So if you're a local rep, you can bring in a manager, you can bring in a technical person, you can bring in someone else that has some kind of relationship. Could be a broker. It doesn't necessarily have to be. You can piggyback on the pack on the back of that person that's got the inside track of the relationship. Okay, so you're saying like obviously you don't have to do it alone. And, no. But you should look for ways to get out of your comfort zone. Hard work is always a a, yep. a, a go to, and then team self. Okay, then kind of work to your strengths or somebody else's strengths on your team. Yeah, I mean, very few people cover all the bases. Everybody's got their gaps, and uh, we used to call it skill and will. So, but you've got to have the will. It's nice to have the skill, but I think if you have the skill sets and you throw in the will, even if you've got a gap in a particular area. You can overcome that just by a lot of hard work and diligence and uh, training and working with people and just kind of uh, just the drive and the will to be successful. No, you know, it's, I just last night was watching Rocky with my wife and my kids. And sure. And there's that line where he says, well, I got gaps. You got gaps. Together <laughs> we fill the gaps, you know. And so when you say that, I mean, uh, I think it's there's some real truth to that. I think that's probably what. Why that film uh, is as iconic as it is? That's a great one. You know that that's a good that's a good one. There's a lot of one where you know, of course, a lot of inspiration. You see gold co- a gold uh, cast, I think, uh, videos about Rocky, and he was really a motivator. I remember seeing that movie the first time. And I was pretty motivated coming out of it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I almost wrecked my car. So but, um, <laughs> that is it, good. Yeah, it's but but you know the, the thing about it is you got to realize people got they, they have blind spots too. They don't. The manager has to be able to sit down and say, hey, look, this is, I, have, I had a, a story about a guy who had a tremendous inside relationship guy, but he just didn't, never seemed to close deals, never did selling. 
one day I just sat him down. I said, look, I said, you know, everybody likes you. You've been here a long time. The customers like you. You got the inside, inside uh, uh, game on every customer, but they're just not selling anything. And he, he knew it. And so I started working with him more closely and we went out and did some pretty nice deals with that. So you can have too much on, you can't just have interpersonal. You can't rely on that. You got to, and you got to have the really the you got to so if you're weak in one area and not as strong uh, not as uh, and stronger in another you can take that area that maybe not necessarily weak but you got areas that are strong you got to have enough to fill the gap you got to be able to figure out where you got to make adjustments some of that's not living in denial I, I have seen people that really struggle and they um, but you know I've known people that have, have struggled and have, have have really overcome that and gone to great success too. Oh, that's a, I think that's a good point. I like that idea of that self-awareness of just saying, well, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And if, if you can be open and honest about that, then, you know, you're going to be able to build stronger teams and have stronger sales. Like I said, I was married for a lot of years, so I very well understand where my gaps and shortcomings are. So <laughs> remind me of that quite frequently. So <laughs> no, that makes a ton of sense. So one of the questions that so we've talked about like when you can kind of see somebody right away if they're going to be struggling you you talked about one of the guys that you had that was the best salesperson you've ever had and i wonder if you could kind of just talk a little bit about uh maybe that person's attributes and values and what you think made them the best well what's interesting you know i had i called a few people in the last couple of weeks in, in preparation for this and i asked them because um, I've had a lot of salespeople I've worked with and worked for me over the years and have called on me too. And uh, they, there were some common themes that generally one of them was some of them said, well, they just, some of them just have a, some of them people have a knack for it. Um, they just have a knack for, for sales. They're driven, they're, they're driven towards that type of, type of activity. It kind of surprised me a little. One guy, one guy actually said he thought he, was, he had a gift. He didn't mean it ar arrogantly, but he said that was where his gift was. But the particular individual I'm thinking of, he was also very competitive, very driven, and he just didn't like to lose. And he was almost overdriven. He just kind of had to pull him back sometimes. And mm -hmm. um, then another thing is, um, and I'm thinking of multiple people here now. Uh, one of the guys, when I came to work for Texas, I modeled myself after the best rep that had called on me and had a lot of success in Kansas City. He was a manufacturer's rep, and he just... Uh, he was, he was interpersonal, but he just, he was diligent. He said, look, if I made a commitment to the customer. I said, I'm going to get a quote to you, a report to you by next Wednesday. He got that report, he got that report. So not only he did the, the, the interpersonal part, but more importantly, uh, he did, uh, what was necessary to make sure what I needed to get done was getting done. I knew I could depend on this guy all the time, but the, the gentleman I'm thinking of primarily here, probably the best rep. Uh, he just he retired early. He he uh, you know a lot of discipline. He said he he had an office. He had a home office. He kept it cold and dark. He didn't want to be in his office. He wanted to be out, and uh, he he just uh, competed and had a lot of great amount of passion for what he was what he was doing. His biggest issue was internal working with internal stakeholders because he would get frustrated with what was going on internally if he couldn't get the responses and the answers from people internally. And I had to kind of had to manage him through that. And to that work, he actually got it kind of hit over the head a couple of times and he finally realized, hey, I didn't even make the adjustments on this end. Because you gotta really, you gotta, you gotta manage the whole process. This really does kind of come back to that 
concept of grit though, right? Where you're talking about just uh, just putting energy in, putting hard yes. work out there. And even when somebody's gonna bonk you over the head, cause they say that you're, you know, you could be better. It's like, okay, take it and try to do better. Just put more, keep putting energy in the system. Right. Well, then the other thing, uh, resilience is another thing, because you're going to get, you're going to have for, I remember the first, I'd won a couple of deals when I came to work for Texaco, and then I lost, I was on the road, and I got a call, and I lost a deal, and I lost an existing customer, and I just felt like I got kicked in the stomach. I mean, it was, I felt like I suffered more for that loss, because I hadn't ever experienced that before, and I just wasn't used to it. Now, winning is great, but you do have to understand you're not going to win every deal i mean you try to win every deal but um you, you that's just not very feasible now i, I can't I can give you an example with this, uh, the same person i was just talking about how he got a call he happened to be in houston it was a large customer up in the midwest he actually his territory was up there and he was just stunned because he got a resignation letter from the customer and i said oh my god so he, he was here in town we met at a restaurant he was just his eyes were glossed over and I said, well, I mean, tell you what, just don't accept his resignation and uh, make a call with him, go in there, make some adjustments. And uh, we kept the business. We still have, I mean, Shell still has the business. There were some reasons we didn't have it outside of his control. But we were able to just simply, it was funny, I was watching, had been watching, I got that from uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the days of uh, 13 days where there was been an yeah. offer that came in from Khrushchev and they and then they came in another one that was much harsher and they just they said okay we'll just reject the second letter and we'll accept the first one and i thought well that makes sense and then ultimately <laughs> that came out which by the way i'm reading it's funny i just got i do like to, i just got this book uh here uh it's about the cuban missile crisis i'm reading right now oh, it's funny nice. well talk about stress i mean we think we're under stress uh we are but that was a lot of stress so uh so I like reading biographies and things about people and how they deal and how they manage with it. And then one thing I noticed about, uh, I guess, well-known, famous people, I've read Lincoln's biography, uh, Grant's biography, back-to-back. -back. They dealt with a lot of setbacks and a lot of stress. And the and key to them is they were just very resilient. You're going to have setbacks. Uh, you don't ever quit. You always keep you always keep coming. And I think, you know, the old saying is that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That is true. You learn more from your defeats than you do from your uh, victories. So um, it's easy to win. It's it's hard to to lose and then figure out how you're going to turn around and uh, and turn maybe tr even turn a, sometimes a defeat into a victory. Yeah. So you know it's interesting. You talk about hard work. We talk about resilience, right? You talk about some of the stress of the era, some of the stress of the time, and. I mean, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff in yeah. distribution yeah. here in the last yes. uh, few years. And I guess, I don't know, you've, you've in your career, you've seen lots of stuff uh, come and go. You've climbed to the top. Uh, you know, what are the things, how would you keep your head, how would you keep cool when you see it, when it looked like the world was turning upside down around you? It's not easy. Um, because that's where the frustration kicks in. One thing I, I, I discovered over time is that those people, those stakeholders, could be internal stakeholders or people, is you just, I say you just play nice. I mean, you have to, if you develop a relationship with them, those people, they'll tend to go that extra mile for you. So if you've got something that's, um, 
not working well, uh, could be some kink in the chain somewhere. It's you're going to draw more flies with honey than you are of vinegar, I think is the right expression. Now you have to be let it known you've got some frustrations going. Sometimes you've got to take some kind of firm actions, but I think just playing nice because these people internally or even with customers, if they, if they want to work with you, they will work with you more. Um, and they'll try to help you get through whatever the problem is or the bottleneck is. Um, but and when, I tell you what, though, when the bottleneck is the customer itself, I had uh, one customer in Mexico that very large, uh, I'm not going to say who it was, but we did factory fill down there. And, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of problems uh, with uh, taking our product on and putting it in the truck correctly. And, and what do you say? Hey, you, know, you guys got to raise your game. I mean, we would do all we can, but uh, uh, you got to work with every step along every step along the way. You got to work with everything, and you just sometimes you got a difficult time. But you got to make uh, adjustments, personal adjustments. You can't control what they do. You can't control the customer. You really can't control your internal stakeholders, but you can control your own actions and your own relationships. But a lot of it's just hard work and following up. They know they can count on you, and you have their best interest at heart. Uh, you're not the enemy, and you got a much better chance to succeed. Because the one gentleman I just told you about uh, that was my consider him probably probably the best rep I ever had. I did tell him, and he was getting a little uh, a little harsh with some of the people internally. And one day I got a call from customer service and said, "We will no longer work with him. He's going to have to work through you." And I warned Gosh. him, and I told him about it. I told him about it, and, he, and then you know what? He straightened all that out. He saw where he saw that was a gap for him. But I think you just keep working at it. I mean, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And sometimes you got to do workarounds. I hate to do that, but sometimes you got to you got to find that gap, and then ultimately, hopefully, that issue that's creating a bottleneck somewhere. Like right now, I know in chemicals and lubes, there in the last few years, there's been some major supply outages and problems. So you have to Big you time. have to ad, you have to advocate for your customer. You've got to manage their expectations also. So you can call it sweet talking or whatever, but that that's a delicate balance. I've got a brother that works in big pharma sales right now. He's quite successful, but he calls me all the time with different issues with sometimes the customer, sometimes with uh, with his internal support. And and I say, well, I said, what would you what would you do here? I said, well, that's the magic, isn't it? You know, I mean, sometimes you just gotta maybe finesse it. There's no sometimes there's not a hundred percent right answer. You got to make your decision and go forward with it and sometimes you listen sometimes he doesn't so you know it's interesting like um when we talk about this and you there's a lot of conversation here about hard work and obviously you know being polite being being kind like trying to lead with honey instead of vinegar but uh, you know it can mean long hard days and that's a long road sometimes and there's bad weather sometimes and there's just low motivation what do you personally do, Doug? How do you find your passion? How, how have you kept it up? You know, I just never had a, I, I, I'm into sports and uh, follow sports, play sports, things like that. And uh, I think that you mentioned Rocky, right? So Rocky, yeah. that series of the one, two, and three, they always had a setback. You know, I mean, a good movie never is just all about winning, winning, winning. Some point you have a setback and you overcome it. Uh, you know, you move on to the next. You just you, you can get disheartened, 
but if you if you let yourself drown in your sorrows, it's only going to get worse. If you, if you let yourself become discouraged and and, and uh, sit back and just kind of feel sorry for yourself and blame the the fortunes of nature or, or whatever they're going on, things outside of your control, well, it, it, it's not going to get better. So I I work to to manage uh, what I can and not necessarily accept the rest, but try to find ways of, of of mitigating whatever that problem is or whatever that uh, setback is. And you got friends and mentors. You got people, they call them trusted advisors. People I've had friends over the years. I pick up the phone and call them. I said, well, what do you think here? What would you do? And, uh, mm-hmm. and they, they usually are encouraging. And usually they've been through, been through similar circumstances. And my father, been, he was with Mobile Oil, a major oil company, been through the stuff, ended up running his own business. And I used him quite a bit. He would. He could relate. He had went through similar circumstances often with that I went through, and uh, you just you just can't afford to let yourself get too down. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, in some of the, some of the cases early on, uh, things weren't. I can saw they weren't heading the direction I wanted with the companies when I was younger. I did move on, but there's challenges everywhere you go. So uh, every I- company. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I really, I like where you've really, you know, kind of said it's not your, your go-to isn't music or books or movies even per se. It's much as like, talk to somebody who's been there, talk to somebody who's yes. done it and kind of sounds like you got to be vulnerable with them, express your challenges and see, and then, and then they've very likely had their own vulnerable moments and they'll express it back. They'll, they will. And that, what I like to do, even now when people call me, I say, well, I've been there. Let me tell you what I did. Or I understand where you're where you're coming from. I understand what you're saying. Um, I this is exactly what I've been through, and and just the idea that you know someone else has survived it, and they've gotten through some really tough times. You really start opening up to people. Most people aren't going to expose all their warts out of the box. You know, we get to know them well enough. You find out and things that they've had to go through that were difficult and how they overcame them. And it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always sunshine and roses or sunshine and rainbows. I think the word is. Yeah, acronisms correct here so (laughs) no i think you're saying it's interesting because as you're saying that i'm reminded of this other study i read where it talked about that a child's resilience a child's ability to overcome their own challenges or trauma in their life is actually almost directly correlated to this number of stories that a child is aware of another family member that has overcome a challenge yeah so Sometimes we sometimes we want to be all we want us to be invincible, right? Where this where this veneer of uh, strength and like we've never had a challenge, but but actually what makes us strong is recognizing our own uh, weaknesses in some sense and realizing that people that we love, people that are that care about us, have been through similar experiences, and that gives us the strength to over, yes. to kind of pick ourselves back up. Right, and that's why I think it's good to build a network. And I'm not saying you go out and form and say, "Hey, I'm going to build a network." Some of it's informal, but you try and stay in touch with those people. I mean, I've had people that have been been pretty successful. I've had other people that are kind of parallel or even in a different different level than I than I was at. And um, my brother calls me. My younger brother calls me all the time. And things. I'm his older brother, but I'm his go-to guy. And sometimes I I always I like talking to him and helping him. And sometimes I don't have the answer, but I give him my best shot. And I give him a parallel parallel circumstance that I've been in. And he's having a lot of success. I mean, he, he's got his gaps, but right now he is really hitting it out of the park and uh, he gets frustrated. 
that's one of his problems. He, he has a problem with internal noise or rub or whatever you want to call it. And I just say, you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with that. So, uh, and I've had some of my own problems. I get frustrated too, but uh, I, uh, again, I, I, you, you just, you don't, you just continue to work. You tend to plow ahead and you don't get too discouraged. Cause if you get down and just, you know, kind of pour yourself into your sorrows, uh, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's only going to get worse. Problem's not going to go away. It's no, no, that's bigger. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a solid point. It's interesting in the book Grit by Angela Duckworth, you know, she talks about the intentional practice framework and, and how important it is to get third party feedback. And that she kind of describes it as this, uh, you know, place to get third party feedback so you can see how to do better, you know? And I like though, the angle that you're saying is like that third party feedback actually can be a huge source of motivation. It's not just, can I do better? How do I do better? It's like, show me, like, let me see it from somebody who's done it and see that I'm, I'm not that far off. So there's some right. benefit there too. Well, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to, people don't like criticism. And I think a lot of people don't uh, want to hear, uh, they don't want to hear the news. They don't want to hear it. And sometimes I just felt like as a manager, I would, there were times that that was my job and I had to point things out sometimes that they didn't want to hear. Now you would try to you'd call it the feedback sandwich. You'd start with a, a positive, you hit them with the issue, then you close it on a positive. You, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so you didn't want to somehow you kind of, but they generally know you hit them with that little issue. But usually they either in denial, but they have some idea. They don't want to have it pointed out, but you also point out what their strengths are. You don't want to demotivate people either. If you're just going to beat them up, then that's not helpful. But I, you know, I, I get down, you know, but, but my way of dealing with problems is we're just working at, working at whatever the problem is. And, uh, just work. and then it just work well, just work at it, but have some awareness, self-awareness. And a lot of people just refuse to admit they have any issues and I've got issues. I, I don't, don't deny it. I'm aware of it. And I've had a lot of, uh, reviews. Some have been good. Some of them have been not so good. And I, I try not to reject the not so good out of hat unless they're completely unfair. It's that, I think everybody thinks they're, you get a, a, a not so great review, you think it's unfair. I don't know. We get these big companies now that, well, you've got these forced ranks. So as you move up, you're, you're looking at your peers. I had a rep one time and he was new and he wasn't doing so well. We were getting ready to have a reorg and forced rank. And I kind of let him know that, hey, you know, you, you know who your competition is here. And and, it, and I was trying to tip hit him off that he probably wasn't looking forward to having a, a really strong review. He just wasn't a good fit. And, it actually helped him find another role. He's, he went on and found great success in another another area. So yeah, but I've had other people that turned around. I had a, had a, a lady one time that worked for me, and I finally just told her, uh, you know, you're just kind of getting a reputation for not getting the job done. Holy cow! So then the next day she sent me a long email. I hear what you're saying. I understand. And she just was gangbusters, and she's been a phenomenal success ever since. I've seen, I tell you, there's a lot of satisfaction seeing people overcome things and move up and move on and find success. But sometimes they got to be sort of shook a little bit in that direction. But these are the same people, same people that are kind of loping along, maybe not doing that well. They shifted once they made up their mind that they wanted to be successful. Once they realized what they needed to do to work on, and they found a lot of success. And that's a very rewarding experience. As a manager, no, that that is awesome. That's I think that's uh, 
it goes back to the awareness thing that you kind of spoke about right out of the gate was just know thyself, right? Yeah. Kind of. Was that Socrates or uh, Plato <laughs> or one of those philosophers, right? <laughs> Definitely. I think it's something out, of the ma- I think it was something out of the Matrix, maybe. So. <laughs> That's right. Neo, the uh, the uh, philosopher Neo. But yeah. uh, one of the, so let's see. So we're just kind of, you know, I appreciate your time here. We're wrapping up here. We got, I just want to kind of speak to uh, the last question, something we like to ask people pretty often is with 2023, with tw- I, mean, I, think, I think everyone's still reeling a little bit from 2020, 2021, 2022. We've seen so many different things happen. What are, maybe what's a prediction or something that you kind of see maybe coming down the pipe in 2023? Like if you're, you know, you've seen a few things in your day. What yes. What do you expect we should be preparing ourselves for? Well, there's a lot of uh, economic, political, and global uncertainty. And it's a little scary. You see these banking uh, bailouts and you see the world economic situation. You see people trying to get off the petrodollar or maybe supplant the U.S. as the uh, world reserve currency. There's a lot of geopolitical global influences going on. And uh, I guess the biggest concern I have is right now, I just see these mountains of debt piling up and all this leverage, which kind of harkens back to 2008 and the financial crisis. But um, you worry uh, about globally. And, and then, of course, obviously you have China. Uh, China isn't, I mean, I, I worry about the U.S. maintaining their competitive posture. Now, our manufacturing has been on somewhat of a decline for a long time. Uh, it sort of makes sense that it went that way, but I do worry about us. Uh, I think we'll be fine uh, over the long haul, but the, the, the market is changing. The, uh, the environment is changing. And um, so it is, there is a lot of uncertainty. You just kind of have to stay on top of it. And right now I'm really more of a, I guess I call myself an investor right now. That's what is my income. And I talk to my uh, investment advisor and what, what to do with things. And they just always say, stay the course. And go, well, stay the course just leads to capital losses and capital losses on my tax return, which means I don't pay taxes, I guess. But um, if I was working in a, a given industry, I'd try to look at, Where's that industry going? But it changes. I mean, years ago, mining uh, wasn't that good an industry. Upstream wasn't that good an industry as far as from the sales into it from the downstream. But then it turned around. Uh, so things to go on and go, kind of go in waves. So you kind of have to place your bets. I mean, right now, I've seen a lot of people in oil and gas move over to sustainability, things like that. And it's really not, that's not really returning right now. The, uh, the the core, the core business that's paying the bills right now is the standard traditional model. So uh, you got to try to figure out where to place, you know, again, to place your bets and uh, decide what, what's your best fit. You know, where do you see the growth? You got, you do have to make a, cause you can't, you can only do one job at a time. And uh, so I would say do the best you can at that job. Keep your, keep your eyes and ears to the ground and keep selling, keep your numbers up. Cause when numbers are good and you're in sales, I mean, that's just a better life. <laughs> You're not making your numbers, and then uh, you're uh, not. Uh, it, it just things don't go as well mentally or personally, or tends to affect me personally too. No, I think uh, you know it's interesting. It kind of harkens right back to the thing you said at the very beginning, which was you know pick a lane and yeah. kind of 
finish through, follow through with what you started. It's kind of what your your kind of recommendation might be for 2023. Yep. Yeah. Well, don't 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 care. You're gonna run. You're gonna have the headwinds, and you're gonna have uh, that's where your resilience comes in. That's where you find a way to win. There's people right now that are still out there selling and having success. Other people that are kind of sitting around and worried about how the economy's going. And I and I, re, and I worry about the economy too, but um, you want to find somebody to find your, uh, you know, find your your best chance at having success. And it needs to line up with what your skill sets are and what you want to do. And uh, it's really pretty basic stuff. No, Doug, I think that those are all some great points. That's great advice. You know, kind of to summarize, we're really talking about just continuing to make sure that regardless of what happens, that you're doing the hard thing, that you're kind of forcing yourself out of your comfort zone. You're right. giving, uh, really kind of work lead with honey, not vinegar. And mm. I think that concept of self-awareness is another thing that really comes up a lot of what you're doing. Just know your strengths, know your weaknesses, and kind of leverage those to get uh, whatever, whatever you can, regardless of how uncertain the future might be. Right. So, could not well, uh, argue with a single thing you said there. Sounds like I could have said it better <laughs> myself. <laughs> you did say it. That's what I just uh -oh. I just summarized that. <laughs> so, Doug, we want to thank you so much for uh, sharing your experiences and your wisdom with us. So, thank you for sharing that today. Okay, appreciate it, John. Appreciate the chance to talk to you guys. Awesome. Thank you. And then to all, any of our listeners, if, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, share, leave a review, and also, you know, send us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. So feel free to reach out to us. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thank you.